Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. This is episode 225. Eddie, as you know, every 25 episodes, we do something different. Ah, uh, yes. I remember the melodious Jeff Keniston in episode 150. Sing us some Spider-Man summaries. And I remember 175, we did a whole Kingpin special. And then in 200, we did the best of Marvel team-up. Well, for 225, we're... Going to go back to the Kingpin, who is a Spider-Man villain, but we're going to talk about the problems he's causing for old hornhead Daredevil. Yes, we're going to cover Daredevil 226, which is a book by Frank Miller. And then we're going to talk about 227 through 233, which are the main part of the Born Again storyline, also by Frank Miller. Yeah, so we'll break this into two parts. We'll just take care of that first book at the beginning. And that is from January of 1985. Stanley presents Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, 226 Warriors. Written by Denny O'Neill and Frank Miller. Art by David Mazzuccelli and Dennis Jenke. Melvin Potter, formerly known as Gladiator, is coerced into committing robberies to raise $1 million to save his kidnapped lady friend, Betsy Beatty. Daredevil is struggling with his own demons, uses his hypersenses to figure out Melvin's predicament, and ends up helping him save Betsy. So this is a good story before the whole born-again uh, fall of Daredevil. Miller and uh, Mazzuccelli are the writer and artist, and they're going to be the ones that will stay with us for all of Born Again. We get a reminder of Daredevil's mentor, Stick, uh, that his business is sort of ending and his girlfriend has broken up with him. These things do seem somewhat related to the future stories, but they're not related enough that they're the problems he's going to have. We also see Gladiator, who, unlike Puma, who never appeared to be bad, Gladiator is more like Hawkeye or Sandman, that we know he was bad once, and then he's not bad so much anymore. Yeah, it's interesting to see when Daredevil encounters him, he instantly realizes there's something wrong because Gladiator is way out of his prime and should not be committing any crimes. And they re go over Daredevil's hypersenses, which I hope for Daredevil readers, which has not been me for a while, they don't do this all the time like they like to in Spider-Man. Uh, but they, I, I forget that Daredevil not only has his kind of radar, but he also has a hypersensitive nose uh, that he can identify the people inside Melvin Potter's costume shop as not being people that should be in there. And then, like you said, James B., Gloria Breen is uh, hanging out with Foggy a lot, and we're going to see how she eases her way into Foggy's life in the next couple of books. All right. From February, March, April, May, June, July, and August of 1985, Stanley presents... Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, 227, 228, 229, 230, 231, 32, and 233. Apocalypse. Purgatory. Pariah. Born Again. Saved. God and Country. Armageddon. Written by Frank Miller and art by David Mazzuccelli. Eddie, I'm going to give you the summary for 227 Apocalypse. Okay. Daredevil's identity is sold by Karen Page. It is resold through a network of evil until the Kingpin acquires it. The Kingpin takes six months before he strikes at Matt Murdock, freezing his bank accounts, messing up his mortgage and his law license. When he blows up Matt's building, Daredevil realizes it has to be the Kingpin. 
cold, calculating, and evil. Uh, the kingpin really comes across as that, although I do like his outfit when we first see him. Do you remember what it was, James B? I do not. <laughs> He's standing on a boat in shorts uh, and a t-shirt, meeting, I assume, in international waters to get away with whatever he's doing. A little bit of comedy that we get uh, towards the beginning of this book, but not to last for very long. You know, when Karen Page sells the initial words, it's interesting that it gets its way all the way up to the kingpin, that whoever finds it knows to sell it and resell it and resell it. It never really tells us how many people it's implied he's like, I want to know everyone that read this note. And I, it sounds like he's going to kill them all, right? Yes, I would say I would say it was deeply unlucky for poor Matt Murdock, too, that this managed to get that far. Well, I think it's lucky for Matt Murdock that Kingpin's going to kill all those other people because in the end, it might just be the Kingpin who knows. True. So, but Well, let's find out what happens in the next, uh, the next book, Eddie. From Daredevil 228, Purgatory, Matt Murdock's life is destroyed. Not knowing what to do, he goes directly to the Kingpin. Fights him, gets knocked out, and thrown inside a cab that's then driven into the East River. The kingpin is very pleased with himself until he discovers the police found no corpse floating in the river. Meanwhile, Karen continues to struggle in Mexico. I thought this book was great having Matt call Foggy once and accuse him of causing all his problems. And then he calls him back later in the book and he's calling him asking for help. It really gave me the sense of the madness yeah. that Matt Murdock was experiencing. I didn't really care for the part where the Kingpin's associate gave us a play-by-play of how they were dealing with the cab and with Matt Murdock. Right. I would have preferred that it was, you know, he was thinking about it or something, but the Kingpin needs to know what's going on. It made sense of the story, but... Um, there was just a little bit of a, a play-by-play that was a little little forced. But overall, this was a great story. I liked the play-by-play, James B. It kind of showed uh, the Kingpin's organizational powers with everyone following him and organizing these things all the way through. And like you said, the madness of Daredevil. At one point, he's in a bar and he's pretty much knocked out everybody in the bar because he just doesn't know what to do. Poor guy. Well, in 229 Pariah... Junkie Karen Page is trading sex for a chance to get back in the United States. Matt is bleeding his way all the way to a church. And Foggy continues his romance with Matt's ex, Glory. The book ends with the Kingpin's realization that Matt Murdock has nothing to lose and that could be kind of dangerous. Yeah, he escapes from the cab, like I said uh, two books ago, and he is extremely desperate all throughout the previous two books, but now he's being nurtured back to health and the Kingpin can't find him. None of his organization can. So the uncertainty, I think, drives the Kingpin most crazy uh, anytime that happens. You know, we enjoy, both of us, the secondary characters of Spider-Man and the quips and the humor of Spider-Man. And, and sometimes the silliness gets too silly. But when you're reading Born Again in this whole storyline, there's there's no joking in the background. There's no silly side stories about goofy things going on. Uh, the closest you get is sometimes Foggy's conversations are a bit awkward because yeah. he's just being a little, I guess he's like the the comic relief character in general. Yeah, he's clumsy. He like falls off a step stool when he's trying to change a light bulb. So that's 
that's as much as we could get, right? Right. But this book is is serious with everybody. And uh, that, I think that continues in the next book. Yes. Uh, Daredevil 230, Born Again, features Matt Murdock recovering in the local church in the hands of a nun that he discovers through his hypersenses is his mother. Uh, having done many unsavory things, Karen Page finally makes it back to New York City to see Foggy. Fearful, Ben Ulrich uh, backs off on his story to uncover the Kingpin's crimes, while the Kingpin schemes a new plan to kill Daredevil. I'm pleased that they chose Born Again for this whole storyline, and it's a title for issue 230. The story bounces around from Karen's story to Ben Urich's to the Kingpin and to Matt and to Foggy. It's almost exclusively just the five of their perspectives. They're all a lot of internal monologue, which, you know, you and I see with the Punisher, but it doesn't matter to me that they're all just living in their own stories. And it feels like it's one great play going on. It's such great writing. The panels with Urich hearing about a murder going on on the other side of the phone is like the best page of Daredevil I've ever read. Is it is so I look was reading it. I was like looking around my house, thinking, "Is anybody else see what great writing I'm reading right now?" It was it was amazing, unbelievable. I totally agree. As the panels zoom in, and he's in his office, and he just knows he can't say to anyone what's going on because he's so scared of the kingpin. Wow. Jay Jonah, by the way, wants to fire Ben Urich for not going after the Kingpin. Yeah. A very different yeah, very different side of Jonah. I mean, not that he's not like that in our books, but for him to be so, so serious and not be focusing on how to ruin Spider-Man's life for a minute, it's a uh, it's different, different side of him in the story. Uh, moving on to Daredevil 231, Saved, Ben Ulrich and his wife are attacked by a rogue employee of the Kingpin's. Without being seen, Murdoch saves them. The, the attacks give Ulrich conviction to continue his story. The Kingpin's plans are not going well, and he feels some heat from his cronies as a wild gun battle plays out near Foggy's apartment. Karen is almost killed, but in the final panel, we see Matt and Karen embrace in tears. Yeah, this uh, evil nurse is angry that she's been relocated. There's been a, uh, Kingpin has a person dressed up as a nurse. I assume she's not a nurse, by the way. Yeah, she goes rogue. Yeah, and there's also a a janitor at the police station or at the newspaper. There's a couple people working for the Kingpin that are all different costumes. Like I said, one's a janitor, one's a nurse. And she's getting relocated because she failed at some portion or, you know, something to do with Yurik. So she gets mad and she decides she's going to go over there and, and, and deal with him. And she almost kills you know, his wife, and then almost kills him. Karen at one point knocks out Foggy. I noticed that. It's true. To try to save him from being in the gunfight. Because her drug-dealing boyfriend is coming after her. Ooh. Yeah. Mel- Melvin Potter in his costume shop is trying to do what's right because they want to frame Daredevil with a fake Daredevil. And Matt Murdock kind of gets involved and says, like, yo, go ahead. Give him the gives him the green light and says, go ahead and make this costume uh, gladiator for this other fake Dale Devil. It's, it's what I need you to do right now. So, good stuff. Excellent writing again. In the next book, Daredevil 232, God and Country, Ben Ulrich finds himself in the middle of a slaughter as he attempts to interview a jailed informant. Ulrich kills a man in order to survive. The Kingpin goes to the extreme measure of flushing out Daredevil by hiring Nuke 
who's an amphetamine-filled rogue soldier. He lets him loose in Hell's Kitchen. After much destruction, we see our hero squaring up to Nuke on the last panel. All these people are getting killed in a in a cell when that uh, fight's going yeah. on. They're all shooting each other in the cell, and Glory is there because she's sort of a photographer now. In all the frames, she's shooting photos of people getting shot like at point black range, which is very crazy. Also, this nuke is going to be revealed uh, clearly to be a super soldier. He is a Captain America right. uh, type level person, which is a big problem having someone like this running around. And he's definitely all about God and country, but he does not know why he's killing who he's killing. He just knows that he thinks he's doing it for the right reasons. For, for the boys. He says it over and over again, for the boys. The way Kingpin gets Nuke to work for him is so brilliant. Instead of trying to pay him or, you know, uh, blackmail him, which is the King's, Kingpin's normal ways of dealing with people, he dresses up an apartment with a massive amount of patriotic symbols and spins a story about how the Kingpin's corporation and the crimes he's committing are actually saving America. And this strikes a chord with Nuke's patriotism, which overrides all of his clear insanity. And Nuke is then just interested in fighting for whatever the Kingpin wants him to do because he thinks he's a real, he's a true patriot. Uh, it's a great twist on recruiting Nuke. In the last story, 233, Armageddon, Nuke, Attacks the city, going after Daredevil, also going after Ben Urich and Glory as they're all, you know, at the scene as right. potential collateral damage. The Avengers show up and the Kingpin's associates all get pretty annoyed. They get even more annoyed at him as Daredevil steals money from the Kingpin and he can't pay his associates even. Uh, and things start to go really bad for him. It's super interesting to watch Captain America, Thor and Iron Man show up. Uh, mostly after Nuke destroys a lot of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, it's also fun because Captain America breaks some rules. Uh, in this book, he breaks into the government headquarters, knocks out a couple of guards, and learns about Nuke, who's someone the government is using and has used as a mercenary to sell to the kingpin. James D., you said it best uh, that the only problem Captain America ever has is ever is figuring out if he's patriotic enough. Well, we're seeing a new side of Captain America who's often one-dimensional. And, uh, you know, I imagine it's going to develop into the Captain America we know more in this modern age who's has trouble with America <laughs> often. <laughs> I don't like the nuke part of it at all. I don't like that really? the story comes back around. I like the story being about, I want Ben, I want Matt... I don't mind Foggy being there. I want the Kingpin. I don't like when the story turns into, hey, here comes Thor. Like, I don't need him to be part of the story. It didn't bother you the same way. No, not at all. I, I thought Nuke was the perfect catalyst to show how unhinged the Kingpin was becoming. And the Kingpin, it, it's a, even a big stretch for the Kingpin to get Nuke. I mean, he's blackmailing a four-star general of the United States. So... It just shows the desperation that he has to get rid of Daredevil. And really and truly, he uses Nuke to flush Daredevil out. He knows if he lets him go in Hell's Kitchen and starts causing chaos, there's no way Daredevil will be able to tolerate this because he can't find Daredevil, you know, hanging out in the church. Speaking of the church, 
were you okay with the fact that Daredevil's like, oh, he, hears, he says to the woman, are you my mother? And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, I can tell by the heartbeat you're lying. Right. And then, <laughs> and then doesn't need to revisit that again. I think. That's totally fine. Really? I think the mood of Daredevil is way more subtle with emotion in general. Like the way Daredevil plays himself often is by, you know, being very secretive with what, you know, pretending he's a blind man when he's not a blind man and just not causing a commotion. And I, I think this is just something that he can't fully embrace right now and will have to handle you know at a later date but he knows there's too much chaos going on for him to have this intense discussion it, it could drive her away too it could ruin her he's paranoid and broke yeah he has no job he has no romance you know he's nearly dead he finds his mom <laughs> in a church in a safe spot and his thoughts aren't like i know you're my mother you know i'm daredevil Blah, blah, blah. I need you right now. His thoughts are, eh, whatever. I'm just going to go over. Well, he is, but he is getting her attention, just an unspoken attention. She's been taking care of him the whole time. So I, I don't know. Like, I, it, it could ruin her to have someone know that he is her son. So it would definitely set off alarm bells within her. It was super fascinating to watch Daredevil come unhinged through 227, 228, 229. That's where it culminates. And then the Kingpin in 230, 231, and 32 totally loses it over the course of those books. Uh, with the both of them kind of settling back into some type of normal at the end, they, they don't seem to have lost too much. It's crazy to me to think that we are reading about J. Jonas' daydreams of being a hero in a bank robbery in Spider-Man, while Frank Miller writes this complete masterpiece in Daredevil. Uh, sadly, I think that they're leaning into the quirkiness and silliness of Spider-Man uh, right now to help cover up that they're not doing a very good job with this storyline. So, Daredevil has no spinoffs. They're not running three True. Daredevil books at once. If you could tell me that we're going to have one Spider-Man story, maybe they would have gone from right. you know, the, the death of Captain Gene DeWolf over to the Sabretooth story and not have to keep bouncing around with whatever nonsense books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not at least filler books, but they're, it's a, it's a that, business, you know, that's on them. It's true. It's true. It's a business too. And it's a very popular title, but Man, I would read some Daredevil after this one. That's for sure. <laughs> Frank Miller writes some Spider-Man books. We just don't talk about Annual 15 that much or whatever you know, <laughs> that, that he's doing because it wasn't a big right. deal back then. So, What do you think of the drawing of, uh, of you know, Dave Mazzuccelli? Uh, sorry, uh, whatever his first name is. Um, yeah, Mazzuccelli. I think it's uh, it it it's I would say it epitomizes this this vintage of comics in nineteen eighty this is nineteen eighty six, I think. Yeah. Um it's much darker and more detailed in like a different way than we've seen in the past. Like at the end of um Daredevil uh two thirty two we see Daredevil standing there in front of a bunch of flames and 
like the horns are all black it's it's much more frightening this is this is when i was like as a young man i'm like ooh, it's kind of scary (laughs) a boy i should i should say um i like it though do you like it I thought Frank Miller was the artist on these at first because this is how I I think of him and his style. I'm sure Uh he gets along with this guy because he has the same kind of feelings. Uh, I I like it better than the 90s, but true, it's it's right on the edge of what I I think it's necessary for these kind of books. I I think this is like a a dark writer. Uh, You know who else does this a little bit? Uh, No jokes here, but like Mark Beecham has a little bit of that same style. (laughs) He does. He uses a lot lot more like black than other colors. Yeah, a lot more realistic, more than cartoony kind of looks. Yes, agreed. Uh, I'm... This isn't my. I I tend to like the art of the of the seventies and the early eighties, but again, I'm still okay with this. I think this is what I need for my for my born again uh, storyline, though. But it was. It's not my. Not normally my cup of tea but I think it's what's necessary. So. Okay. Eddie, we do have a sponsor. Uh, yes. Thank goodness, James B. Who is our sponsor today? Today's sponsor is the Spotlight Costume Shop in New York City. We all know that Melvin Potter has made costumes for Spider-Man and Daredevil, but what you don't know is he can also provide you with costumes such as fake janitor or fake nurse. That's right, Melvin can provide basic blue jeans and suit jackets too. There's only one thing that Kingpin and Daredevil agree on, and that's where to shop. The Spotlight Costume Shop. Use promo code KILLDAREDEVIL and receive free shipping on orders over $500. That's the Spotlight Costume Shop in New York City. Poor Melvin. I feel like we're not helping him try to get rid of his past being a criminal <laughs> by allowing a podcast that emphasizes his ability to uh, dress the kingpin's goons. Uh, I, I don't. I, I I don't know about that, James B. I, we're he's doing well enough to be a sponsor of our show, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty darn good, right? <laughs> yeah, he's making some making some money so he can take uh, good old Betsy Beatty out on the town. She's in a wheelchair, right? Uh, you didn't notice that much. You weren't watching that I relationship. Didn't think so, oh, I thought she was in a wheelchair. I don't know a ton about Betsy and Melvin, and yeah, I just I know he lie. he comes and goes uh, with Daredevil and, and helps them occasionally, but. I'm not really sure. In, in Spider-Man terms, eh, you know, Spider-Man doesn't have a part-time friend fighter, does he? That's not the black cat or the lizard. You know, they come with such baggage. Right. You know, I don't I know mean, who shows I up. I guess we could say Sandman at certain points. So. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's not by... Spider-Man doesn't... Spider-Man doesn't choose a Sandman. Sandman True. chooses if they're fight if he's fighting someone that he wants to get him. If it's if Hydro-Man's there, Sandman's fighting with Spider-Man. <laughs> Otherwise, no. I don't know. Maybe it's Daredevil that shows up to help him once in a while. Yeah, honest. that's or, true. Or like Johnny Storm would be the closest. When Johnny yes. Storm would True. used to show up and be like, "I'll help you for this book." It's kind of like what I think of this guy, but but he's got him on on retainer. Hey, make my costumes too, by the way. <laughs> so, all right, well. Uh, Eddie, if people want to tell us that we should be doing more not Spider-Man episodes <laughs> in our Let's Read Spider-Man podcast, how could they reach us? Uh, you could email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com or click on the link in this podcast description to join our Discord channel and connect with us through social media. We got to let our listeners know when other interesting things are going on in Marvel at the time we are, James B. So... <laughs>
It's true. And now it's time for the close. I'm James B. Joined by Eddie. And Rebel Listers, Kingpin might have begun life as a Spider-Man villain, but now he is most certainly Daredevil's enemy. Goodbye. Goodbye. Eddie, did you notice in the battle with uh, Nuke, which went on, you know, your favorite battle for many, many, many pages there? Yeah. That uh, I think Glory gets shot. Yeah, in the arm. It's just a nick, though. Like, she gets grazed. I thought it was more interesting that at some point uh, in Spider-Man that I was reading, he says that this battle is worse than the battle he had with fire lord if you remember when fire lord and spider-man like leveled several city blocks so daredevil says that no daredevil doesn't say this i read it in uh i can't remember which spider-man title but he comes across this battle like the the aftermath and he's like wow this battle was worse than the battle i had with fire lord when he like you know knocked down a big portion of the city so it's for me, I was like, dang, this must have been a huge battle. I can't believe Daredevil like was in it and a part of it and didn't get badly hurt. <laughs> yeah, the Avengers came and bailed him out because we all know how the Avengers feel about Daredevil. <laughs> hey, Daredevil, uh, you're a pretty good reference for Spider-Man. <laughs> Should we get that guy in our, um, in our little uh, pack here? <laughs> Poor Daredevil. <laughs>